Um, so I'm actually going to start at verse 14 of Romans 1. Uh, it's on page 1128 of the Church Bibles. So starting at verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Thanks, Jilly. Uh, <clears throat> you wait for a video and a service all year, and then three come at once, just like buses. Uh, let me pray as we look through this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and as we think about uh, this fairly key little passage in Romans uh, on Commission Sunday, we pray that you would uh, remind us of your great love for us, of your great love to reach and save the world. Pray you'd inspire us, encourage us, rebuke us, uh, show us uh, where we need to change. And we pray that you would uh, encourage us mostly by your word, through your son Jesus, by your spirit we pray. Amen. <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> I had a cold. I've had many tests, it's all right. Uh, no COVID in sight. Um, I uh, preached the gospel once in a church and was never spoken to again by the minister. Uh, it appears he was ashamed of the gospel. Uh, my wife, Leanna, was asked to remove the word saviour from a song that she was using at her school uh, one Christmas in the performances. It appears that the school was ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Richard Dawkins, to pick one of many quotes, uh, writes, Be thankful that you have a life, sounds good, uh, and forsake any vain and presumptuous desire for a second one. It appears Richard Dawkins is ashamed of the gospel. Uh, you don't have to listen to many sermons at most churches uh, to realize that there's little mention of Jesus. It, it appears many are ashamed of the gospel. Uh, it's easy to point the finger there, isn't it? Uh, what about the friends of Jesus? What about Peter, who denied Jesus three times uh, and was reminded of such uh, when the cock crowed? 
Peter was ashamed of the gospel. How many times have you or have I avoided speaking about the gospel given an opportunity? Are we ashamed of the gospel? Well, the passage, as Tim said, that most commission churches are looking at today uh, uh, shares an example of someone who is not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Paul the Apostle writes in our passage today, have a look if you've got uh, the passage in front of you. Um, John, do you want to just show which is the preschool room if she wants to? Sorry. That won't make any sense if you're on the video. Uh, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's easy to be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Paul doesn't shy away uh, from the trials he faces as a result of sharing the gospel. He knows the gospel brings trials and complications and a difficult life. And perhaps we don't uh, like the trials that come when we share the gospel. Uh, But perhaps also we forget what the gospel truly is. And Paul's going to unpack some of these thoughts today. Uh, At Paul's time, uh, he had an understanding, didn't he, if if you read through his writings, uh, that to share the gospel might be embarrassing. It might be costly to friendships. It might be costly to your career. It might uh, stop you taking opportunities. The gospel is not an easy message to share. That's why he says, I'm not ashamed, because the implication is we might be. Uh, some, of us, some people will look at us if we share the gospel, the true gospel with them, as if we're a few French fries short of a happy meal. Uh, Paul puts it like this. He didn't have McDonald's at the time. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a foolish message if you don't believe. It can sound foolish. It can enrage some. It can cause others just to simply avoid us. To shout at us, perhaps in some contexts, not particularly in this context, to physically abuse us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.23, we've been going through 1 Corinthians this year, so I picked a couple of verses out of that. Uh, But we preach Christ crucified, the gospel, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Uh, They killed Jesus for his message, didn't they? In fact, history records that most of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were all killed, martyred, for their faith, for holding firm to the gospel, for not being ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, the true gospel at least, is not an easy message to accept. The gospel divides. It challenges It demands that we either reject it with vehemence or offence or uh, some kind of ridiculous fantasy or to accept it in utter humility, weakness and repentance. They're the two options if you hear the gospel. Uh, I'd encourage you to forget the wishy-washy cultural world or liberal church message that you know, God just loves everybody. It's all okay. There's nothing to be offended by here. You're special. You're worth it. You're good enough. Just be nice to each other. 
course, that won't upset anyone, will it? That kind of gospel is going to be welcomed by anyone who hears that. But the true gospel demands we consider ourselves absolutely nothing. We are worthy of judgment and God's wrath. His anger. Said it in our passage, Romans 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, Paul's speaking of the people in the Old Testament uh, because they knew the truth. And even though they knew God, they knew the truth, they still denied him. Wrath is deserved. Uh, The next chapter, Paul puts uh, in verse 9 of chapter 2, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, everyone. Judgment is coming. None of us have lived uh, to the right and just standards of our perfect God. That's the message of the gospel. We live in a way that is rebellious to his ways. Certainly when compared to him, at least, humanity is evil. Are we so keen to fit in with our culture and society that we're, we're afraid, ashamed of the truth that we say we believe? Uh, the very straight-talking mission founder and preacher, Paul Washer, puts it like this. I think it's on the screen. You may say, God doesn't hate anybody. God is love. No, my friend. You need to understand something. Jesus Christ taught, the prophets taught, the apostles taught this, that apart from the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord, the only thing left for you is the wrath, the fierce anger of God because of your rebellion and your sin. I don't know how many people you've told that they, that we all will face the wrath of God unless we cry for his mercy and grace from Jesus. But if we share that gospel, that truth, that message, it doesn't often go down too well, does it? It's not surprising. We're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. But unless we preach Christ crucified, in other words, that he had to die to take the wrath of God on the cross so that we don't have to. In other words, that we deserve that wrath and that judgment from God, that eternal judgment. Unless we tell people that, Jesus has nothing to offer, nothing to offer at all. The gospel is not good news. It's emptied of its power because it declares a God who cares nothing about justice or love or truth. It just says humanity is absolutely fine as it is, on its own, doesn't need God at all. The gospel, the life we ought to live in response, if we're not ashamed of the gospel, well, it brings trials. As we share this message, it brings rejection. It brings social embarrassment. It brings awkward conversations. It brings opposition. It will likely mean we're disliked by some. 
it will likely mean we're overlooked for some promotions if we share this message in our workplace. We might be disciplined at work for our views. There appears to be good reason to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't like the trials that come with the gospel we say we believe. It's pretty easy, isn't it, to feel ashamed of being ashamed of the gospel. I don't think that's a bad thing. I certainly need to feel the weight of my own sin and my own shame in this area. I need to repent of missed opportunities or deliberate avoidance of sharing the gospel. I didn't correct my barber last month. He says he's a Muslim. Uh, But he he said that all gods are the same. We all worship the same God. And what's important is that we all live in love, peace and harmony. I didn't really know how to get the gospel to, uh, sorry, the conversation over to the gospel. Slightly concerned about what it'd do to my hair. Uh, But I should have perhaps told him that there will be no harmony or peace for him unless... He repents before the one true God of the Bible. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Perhaps I was thinking I've, I've left the door open for another conversation another time without rejecting his views the first time we met. I, I'm not sure. But what I am sure of is Jesus would have done a better job than I did. And so I need to repent. And thankfully, when we repent, what do we do? We uh, enjoy the gospel again that we believe. The gospel that brings forgiveness and grace and mercy and love again in this area and every area. But on top of repentance, we also need God's help to overcome this temptation of shame in the future, don't we? And that's what Paul's passage is going to help us do uh, this morning. It's going to help us to unashamedly share the gospel. Unashamedly share the gospel. Uh, So the first uh, uh, argument, if you like, that Paul gives is that we are indebted to the lost. Uh, I don't know which version you read from, Jilly, but your version actually had the word debt in it, which uh, is a better translation. It's probably just the old NIV. But uh, if you've got the church Bibles, it reads like this in verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So that word obligated in most of our versions is normally translated elsewhere as in debt to or indebted. Uh, The modern translations tend to use the word obligated because it gives us a clear understanding of what Paul means without further explanation. Uh, In other words, the reading is clear, isn't it? Paul has a duty, an obligation to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, in in other words, everyone, verse 15, to tell them the gospel. The question is why? Why is he obligated? Well, that's where the word debt actually helps us. He is obligated because he is in debt to them. Not in the sense that he's borrowed something from the Romans and now he's got to go and take it and give it back. But in the other sense, that he has been given something that belongs to them. And until he gives them what he has been given to give to them, he, in a sense, is in debt to them. Uh, So for some of you know my brother Ben, if he just decided to give me £20, 
it's an unlikely illustration, I, I grant you. Uh, and then he sees Tim Guest at a conference, and he gives that £20 to Tim. Then Tim is now in debt to me. He has something that is not his, and it belongs to me. He's indebted to me. He probably wouldn't give it to me. But at some point, when he does, he pays off that debt. I haven't given him anything to return to me, but he has something that belongs to me. He's obligated to give me £20. And so it is with the gospel. That, that's Paul's point. Paul has been given the gospel himself, and part of receiving the gospel of salvation is an indebtedness to all of humanity to take to them what is theirs. The gospel is for all to hear. We are in debt to the lost. We are obligated to pass on the message. That's why Paul says he wants to visit Rome, to tell them the gospel, because it already belongs to them. He's in debt. Uh, of course, uh, there's varying degrees of how this, what this looks like, um, particularly in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, for example, is specifically asked by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles and non-Jews. His calling is specific. His debt is specific, if you like. But the language here is much more general than that. He says he's indebted to the wise and the foolish, the Greek and the non-Greek. There's a general call on him, aside from his apostolic calling, to preach the gospel. You simply cannot receive the gospel and keep it to yourself. It's not yours, is his point. I'm in debt to you. I must give you the gospel. It's the final instruction that Jesus gave to his church, wasn't it, before he ascended into heaven, end of Matthew, uh, chap uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He tells the disciples in the church, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Take the gospel out. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the lost. It's a persistent message throughout the New Testament. Go after the lost sheep. Be ready in season and out of season to give an account of what you believe. Warn them of the coming wrath. And the gospel's not like money, is it? If Tim gives me that 20 quid, he's, he's not got 20 quid. The more you give out, the less you have. It's the opposite with the gospel. The more, the more you give it out, the more you have. The more you enjoy and see the grace of Jesus as you give it to those to whom it is owed. But keep it tucked up in a box. And you might find it's gone when you open that box. The more you keep it to yourself, the more it goes. We haven't understood the gospel if we fail to realise we are now in debt to those who do not yet know it. Uh, the evangelist Ray Comfort says this, if you are not concerned about your neighbour's salvation, then I'm concerned for yours. It's a simple thought, isn't it? If you're not concerned about your neighbour's salvation, then I'm concerned for yours. It's not your gospel to keep. It belongs to the lost. We're in debt to them. However much we may think, they don't want to hear it. It's not our choice to make. However much we're tempted to not face the trials that it might bring, it's not our decision to make. The gospel we carry is for the lost. Give it to them. It is for your manager at work, even if he demotes you for giving it to him. It's for your neighbour, 
even if they think you're a nutcase. It's for your barber, even if he shaves all your hair off next time you go in. We're in debt. Let's pay it off. Paul doesn't only share, though, because he's in debt. Uh, He also reminds us next uh, that the gospel is, in fact, nothing to be ashamed of at all. That's our second point. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Uh, Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. His point is simple, isn't it? People may not like the message, but without the message, they face a worse fate. They face judgment anyway. Their one hope is to hear the gospel. Uh, The gospel may start, as we reflected on earlier, with having to accept our sin and our rebellion against God in humble repentance. That's why it's it's a hard message to hear for people. That's a bit often disliked. But the gospel is more than just bringing people to repentance just for the sake of it. It is the power of God for salvation. It is the good news that in repentance we find forgiveness. We find grace. We find mercy before God. We are freed from the wrath. And we enter peace and joy eternally with the God who loves us. The gospel means good news. And good news it is. It is the good news that despite our utter rebellion and hatred towards God as, a, as humanity, he still chooses to love us. He gives us salvation through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that message of Jesus and his crucifixion is the power that saves. And as such, the, there is no, and there can be no salvation or power without the gospel. It is only the gospel of Christ crucified that is the power of God for salvation. Sure, some may react badly to this message. How can you say that? Don't be so arrogant. What about Islam? What about atheists? What about good people? But if the Bible's true, there is no other way. There is no other hope. There is no other salvation. There's no escape from wrath other than the gospel of Jesus. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because, like it or not, it is the only loving message to tell anyone in this world. It is the only loving message to tell anyone in this world. It is the power that can save. Nothing else can. Nothing else can. No one can enter eternity uh, and enjoy God without the gospel. I guess no one's going to turn up uh, on Judgment Day when Jesus returns and be angry at the Christians who warned them about this coming wrath and told them to repent. They're not going to be angry on that day, are they? Those that believed the gospel when they heard it will be eternally grateful, quite literally. And those uh, those who reject that message in this life will regret their rejection of that message That day they considered the gospel foolish. The gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. It is the only loving message to tell the world. It is the only hope in life. It is the truth in our hands 
that is the very power of God to save. So we're indebted to the lost. It is the power of uh, God for salvation. And then finally, uh, the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, the, the gospel works because it holds together the perfect righteousness of God. It demonstrates who he is. It demonstrates his love for humanity, but it also demonstrates his, uh, that he deals with sin without compromising his justice. Uh, it's like a masterstroke of love. It's the great God Almighty revealing his character to the world. That is the gospel. We don't, uh, in our society, we wouldn't tolerate evil in our world, would we? We we don't. We have legal systems and lawyers and judges and policemen and armies. It's ironic, isn't it, that people who reject the gospel often just say, "Well, well, God should just ignore any sin in my life. It's all right. It doesn't matter when we don't in our own world. But in the gospel, all of this starts to come together. The message that we have sinned and deserve judgment is bad news for us in one sense, but right and true. And if God just ignored it, he wouldn't be righteous, would he? He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be good. He'd be a fraud. He'd be compromised by his own glorious standards. But he still loves us. And so he makes a way to restore us to his love without compromising his righteousness. And in doing so, demonstrates further his great righteousness, his love and his justice. It all comes together in the gospel. Jesus, the perfect man from God, of God, who is God, lived as a man in perfect obedience to God the Father. He is then the only righteous man to ever live. And yet he chose to take the punishment that we deserve, the wrath, the judgment, when he died on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it like this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered for our sins, not his, ours. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus for us to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, This is a common but perhaps helpful analogy. Uh, Imagine you're stood before a judge knowing that you've committed the crime, uh, you're found guilty, and you're ordered to pay one million pounds in damages. That's just and right, isn't it, if if you're guilty? There's no way you can pay it. You're going to spend a long time in jail instead. But as you're about to be taken away, the judge himself pulls out his phone, I've updated it for modern times, gets his banking app out, And he pays the one million pound fine for you. Justice is satisfied that the price is paid. The righteousness of the judge is demonstrated. And it includes great love. Our penalty before God is is blood, is judgment. But Jesus shed his blood for us. The price is paid. His righteousness is revealed in the gospel message, justice, love, 
righteousness. And he gives us new life. That is the gospel. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Simply have faith, believe, and tell the gospel to others. We're in debt to those who have not heard. It is the power of God to save. It reveals the very righteousness of God to the world. So I guess as a church, as a network, as we've been thinking about today, we're not going to be put off by the uh, obstructions we come across. We're not going to pit our feet up. You know, we, we've got a healthy-sized church now, a couple of congregations. Let's just uh, enjoy life. No, we want the righteousness of God to be known by all. We want to pass on this gospel of power so that others may be saved. So let's push on. Let's invite our friends and our neighbours to church. Let's warn them of the wrath to come. Some may laugh, some may reject us, some may be hindered in their careers, but others will be saved by the power of the gospel. As a church, we will strive to keep planting more churches, starting more services, preaching the uncompromised truth of the gospel, however uncomfortable that becomes in our culture. Some may love, some may persecute, some may even slander us. But others will be saved by the power of the gospel. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a good and just and right God. Forgive us, for we have sinned. We have not lived in every way for your glory. We so often put our own desires and wishes before you. But Lord, we praise you for sending us your son, Jesus. We praise you that you love us so much that without Ignoring your righteousness, you satisfy it. You demonstrate it to the world as Christ lived the perfect life, died in our place, took your wrath upon himself and rose again in the spirit to give us new life. If we don't know you today, show us your righteousness. Give us the strength by your spirit to repent before you and accept the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. And then for all of us, may we pass on this gospel that belongs to the lost, belongs to people just like us who once never knew you. May we be courageous. May we be strong. May we see that the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of, for it is the power that can save. May you grow your kingdom for your sake, for your glory. May we stand up under every trial knowing that you have undergone worse. May we live for you and glorify your name. Amen.